0: If you would, turn in the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Today, we're going to start at the last verse of chapter 9, 938, and we're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 10. We are nearing the end, folks. We're nearing the end of the book of Nehemiah. It's been a great study. I think we're gaining from it. There's a lot of lists here of names uh, throughout the end of the book, and so I'm not going to bore you too much with all of that. But we have done a good job of sticking with it. And you have done a good job of bearing with the preaching. And we've covered everything so far. Today's passage is about the people now back in Jerusalem. The walls are finished. And they've read the word. And they, they've, they've repented. And they confess their sins. And they're convicted. And you remember all of that from last week if you were here. And so today we get to this really interesting spot where they are now together going to make a covenant to God. They're gonna make promises to God. That's what today's about. Making promises. You know, one of the best characteristics that somebody can have is that they are dependable, isn't it? It doesn't really matter how smart you are, how pretty you are, how rich you are, right? Those things are nice. You may like those characteristics. But you know what's really, really nice is to have some people in your life that you can count on. Have some people in your life that are dependable. They are there for you. You can count on them. If they say it, they will do it. You can trust them. You can count on them. You can depend on them. They are dependable. What they say, they usually follow up with. And that's a good thing. The Bible teaches us that God keeps all of his promises, doesn't it? That's the very reason that we're here today is because this book is true and it is working in our lives and God has used that. God keeps his promises. But the passage today is not so much about God keeping his promises. It's about God's people making promises to him. And so I want to be real careful today in that we explain this well. It's, it's remarkable that they've come this far. God is doing this, this redemption story in the life of Israel, which he does many, many, many times. Their, their story is a roller coaster story of up and down and back and forth and uh, committing themselves to God and then not living up to it. But today we're at the place where they make that covenant promise back to God. And it's awesome to see it, and we are encouraged by that. Them making their promise to God. But you know what? As we start thinking about being dependable and being liking that characteristic, we must admit that there's a lot of times where people aren't or that there are broken promises. You might say that all the, the negative downside of our whole society and our whole world are when people don't live up to what they're supposed to live up to and broken promises or unfulfilled promises. How many times have you heard somebody say, I'll pay you back? I promise I'll pay you back. And they don't pay you back. Or I promise I'll be there. I'll be there. And then they don't show up. Or I'll call you back. Just wait. I'll, I'll call you back. And then they don't call you back. And it's like there's just this ongoing amount of things that we have said that we will do and that we didn't get around to. Or we weren't able to keep doing what we thought that we would do. We meant well. No doubt about it. We meant well. But we don't. Keep our promise, our word. Well, in our passage today, I want to remind you of what what we had here. Nehemiah is the cupbearer, right? Jerusalem is beat down. They're not in good shape. The people are scattered. They're exiles. They're slaves. Nehemiah just gets this burden for it. He enters into this praying time, four months of prayer. Finally, the king says to Nehemiah, well, what should I do for you? And Nehemiah says, I want to go back, and want we'll to re- rebuild the walls, and he goes. And the, the book unfolds that they rebuild the walls, and he's this great leader, and he becomes the governor, and next thing you know, the walls are built, and they've faced all this opposition and negativity, and now they're moving back in, and they move back in, and they say, what's the first thing we're going to do? Get Ezra. Tell him to bring the word of God, the law of God. Let's start reading And They start reading it. They start becoming aware of what God says and God's ways and God's truth and his standards. And they're, they're convicted by that. They're overcome by that. They're moved by that. And we, they start confessing their sin and being convicted. And we get to the passage today where they're going to now make a covenant to God. I want to ask you here today, even before we start reading it, 938. Have you made any promises to God? Have you made any promises to God of who you're going to be or what you're going to do or what the standards are going to be in your life? Because today's passage is about that. We're going to see them come together, covenant, and promise to God their faithfulness. Now, once we get to the end of the the message today, you're going to be reminded that it's not so much about their promises as it is God's promises. But we see today that God is working in them. And they're wanting to say, God, we will live for you. There's a place in your life, there's a need in your life for you to draw a line or take a stand or make a resolution and say, Jesus is Lord and I will live for him. I will start moving away from these things that do not honor him. And I will put devotion and commitment to the things that God says. There's a place for that. This is what we see happening here in Nehemiah. Read with me, if you will, beginning in verse 38. Now, again, it's a long passage, okay? We're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 10. Because of all this, and this is 938, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hekaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Peshur, Amariah, Malchiah, Hattush, Shabaniah, Malak, Haram, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Gennethon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abiah Mihamin, Maziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah. These are the priests. And the Levites, Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui of the sons of Hinnadad, Cadmiel and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kaleida, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, Benuni, the chiefs of the people, Parash, Pahathamoab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, um, Azgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigbai, Aden, Ater, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashem, Bazai, Hareph, Anatote, Nabai, Magpiash, Mashalam, Hezer, Meshezebel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Anaya, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashab, Helehesh, Piohat, Pe- Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Messiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Malak, Haram, Banah. Then verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, here's our big word, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God. And to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly, a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses. At times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks. And to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God. And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor, and the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, and the and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. And notice this final sentence. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is remarkable, isn't it? We pointed out last week that you've got conviction and confession of sin and a turning to God and a repentance and a a, a faith, a strong faith coming out of these people who before were just totally indifferent. They didn't care about God and his way. They didn't care about what God's word says. They weren't moved by that. Whatever title they said they had as the people of God, it wasn't being driven and and, and inspired by God and his holiness and God and his truth. It wasn't. But now, things are different. Now they are in Jerusalem. They're learning to become a people of God again. They're in their city. The walls are built. The word is being read a lot for hours each and every day. And they're saying, okay, God says this. Here's what God wants. Here's his expectation. Here's his standard. Here's what God's like. So here's what we're going to do. Isn't that good? Church, if you are a Christian and Jesus has saved your soul, and if you just sang, it is well with my soul, as that song can bring it out of us in the realest way, if you're feeling that, then it ought to be the case that the Father in heaven that loves you and made you has written a book to you that you're trying to look at and follow. This is what's happening in Nehemiah's day with the people of Israel, and so they make their covenant to God. We got three points this morning, and my first point is a simple one: making promises to God. Making promises to God—that's what's happening. It's a lot of people. Remember, we go back to the end of um, we go back to the end of chapter seven, and we're told this is over forty-two thousand people. 42,000 people that are united, and they're here together under good leadership with Nehemiah the governor, and they've seen God move a whole lot, they've overcome distraction, they've overcome insult, they've overcome persecution, and now they're ready to be the people of God, and so they are making promises to God. But I want to make sure, and we've, we've had to remind ourselves all through Nehemiah, I want to make sure that you're seeing that this is working its way out as their devotion to their town, their devotion to their city, their devotion to the house of God, the the, the temple there in Jerusalem is is an overflow of their devotion to God. Those things go together. That final statement in chapter 10, that final sentence that we will not neglect the house of our God is such a good sign. That's coming out of faith. That's coming out of love for God. And so they together are wanting to make promises to God and that's what they do. This passage does a good job of showing us that it's broad. This isn't just Nehemiah's leadership. This isn't the thing where you think, well, Nehemiah is awesome, and when you speak of Nehemiah, you're talking about all of them. It's not that. I've said week after week with Nehemiah, you have to be careful. Almost everybody wants to make Nehemiah just a study on leadership, and so the result of that is that Nehemiah is awesome. Yeah, Nehemiah is awesome, but the real point of Nehemiah is that God is awesome, and that God is doing this through Nehemiah. But Nehemiah is not your main player here today. This is everybody coming together under the redeeming work that God is doing in Israel, in their, in their people. Well, chapter 10 shows us a lot of people. Y'all just suffered along with me through me trying to read all of those names. But what we did see there is that it's including everybody, doesn't it? Chapter 8 tells us that was the list of the priests. Chapter 9 tells us here's the list of the Levites. Chapter 14 tells us here's the list of the chiefs or the, or the leaders of the people. You get down to verse 28 and it just lists all of us, the rest of the folks. Verse 28 says the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves of the peoples of the land to the law of God. Then he says their wives and their children, their sons, their daughters. I mean, this is a whole list of people. God is working in them. It's not they got some good leaders and the rest of the people are disconnected. This is the whole people of Israel here in Jerusalem making their promises to God. What kind of promises? Well, it's pretty holistic too, isn't it? At first, you've got family commitments. In this covenant that they're working up, in this commitment, they're talking about their family. If you look down to verse twenty-nine, it says, We enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God. Look at this, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. Look, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So it's understanding that, hey, if we're really loving God, then we want our families to be devoted to loving God. It is so inconsistent with all religious life, because God is supposed to be the A1 number one, and we know this, that God is to be the main thing. And one of the easiest, quickest ways for me, you, or our kids or our family to show that God's really not the number one is for you to fall in love with or get in a relationship with or marry somebody that's not in love with God. I mean, that's plain as day. Young people listen to us. Learn from everybody that's already made the mistake. If you love God, find somebody that loves God. If you follow Jesus, find somebody that follows Jesus. There's no way Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, and you want to spend the rest of your life and raise kids with somebody that doesn't believe that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. There's no way. That's the first pledge they make. This has nothing to do with race or identity or nationalism or anything like that. This is a spiritual thing. If the people don't love God first, we can't be getting into loving relationships with people that don't love God first. It's happened a hundred times over, a thousand times over. It's the story of our land. We claim to be Christian, but we don't follow Christ. And so we'll get into a relationship with anybody. They're talking about their family here with their commitment, but they quickly move on. Verse 31 says that we won't, we won't if, if, if they bring stuff in and they're selling stuff on the Sabbath day, we won't buy it. We won't buy on the Sabbath. And then he says at the end of verse 31, we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now they're talking business. This reading of the word of God is working. They're thinking about our families need to honor God. They're thinking about their businesses need to honor God. We probably won't do it, but I wish Faraday would build a big watchtower right out here in the center of the roundabout And they ask every church to just put somebody in there and start reading the Word of God 24-7. Wouldn't it be awesome? Get the Word of God just kind of vaporing over us. Now, this is really more symbolic for us in the way that this is supposed to be. We're we're not going to do that. But this was really happening then. They were reading the Word of God and they're thinking, hey, this affects my family and who we marry. Hey, we're reading the Word of God. This affects my, my business, who I buy from and who I don't buy from. I'm trying to honor God in every aspect of my life. You can't separate those things. Christianity cannot be compartmentalized as you've heard before. And they go on and they start talking about religious activities. They start talking about honoring him and giving tithes and doing what God says. All this stuff is listed out here. We'll give our first fruits. We'll, We'll do this. We will care for the house of God. We won't neglect the house of God. We'll do the things that God wants us to do. When they started making promises to God, it was everybody that was involved in this, and it was every aspect of their lives that were involved to this. Church, may you and I never represent Christianity as anything less than being all of us. The song is an old hymn. And by the way, great job, Andrew Crawford. Y'all know Andrew Crawford's wife just had a baby like a few days ago. Andrew wasn't supposed to be here today. He should be at home with his wife, but he stepped up today. Andrew, thanks for doing that. Are we just sang, Jesus paid it all? What's the next line? All to him I owe. There wasn't a second yesterday of Saturday, October the 7th, 2023, that you and I didn't owe to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of every bit of it. And every word we spoke yesterday and every stranger that we encountered and every work we got to do and good deed and every thought we had should have been for his glory and surrendered to the kingship of Jesus. He's that important. He's that valuable. Well, We're not able to live up to that, but they're at least thinking of that now. And everything is being impacted by it commentator Betts writes on this in order to demonstrate their loyalty to God the people gather together to make a binding agreement in writing containing the the names of their leaders their Levites the priests to represent all of the people as they commit themselves listen to this to live according to God's word because of God's saving of them and rebuilding their lives, they are now thinking, here's what we need to do to live for him. Here's what we need to do to show that he is our God, he is our father, and that's what's happening. Betts goes on to write, their actions demonstrate that an authentic commitment to God will necessarily include a commitment to support, quote, the house of God. Neglect in this area calls into question one's genuine commitment to God. Remember, they worshiped there in this building, in this temple. They had a house of God Then that's not the case now. The house of God now is the, is the church, the people, you and I, it's not this place, we, we go over that a lot. This building right here is not the house of God. This building is where the house of God meets. It's the believers in Christ that are the people of God, that are the temple where God dwells. But in their day, they they built these walls. They've got this city of Jerusalem, and there's a temple there in the middle. And just imagine what it would have been like for for God to bring them this far, for God to work in Nehemiah, for God to see them overcome all this opposition Remember, at times, they're like building the wall with one hand and holding their weapon in the other hand with an eye towards the enemy's attack and an eye toward rebuilding the wall. Remember, we went through all of that. For God to bring them this far, for there to be a little temple there sitting in Jerusalem that nobody cared about and nobody went to and nobody took care of and the lights weren't on and the weeds were all grown up and the doors were still shut down with chains on it and nobody worshipped there. What? Very similar to the Christianity of our day. Where we claim him, but we do not live for him. They are sensing that conviction and they are resolving with promise that we will not neglect the house of our God. We will be a worshiping people. And so they make this pledge to God. It's a good thing, isn't it? At this point in the history of Nehemiah, we get to them making this covenant and we're like, yes, yes, change is happening. They are wanting to live outwardly for God, and that's such a good thing. And they are making that promise. There are lots of promises in life, and you make promises, and people make promises. I want to draw two examples or illustrations out of the Bible about promises that people have made to God. The first is the one from Mark chapter 14 with Peter. We love Peter, don't we? Peter is so much like us. He talks too much and he often overextends and he says too much and overpromises himself. But Peter was zealous, wasn't he? Peter was on fire and he wanted to live for Jesus. He was going to make sure that he was living for Jesus. Well, everybody knows about the denials and the rooster crowing three times, right? Or you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. I think, well, most roosters don't shut up. At Mark 14, listen to this. Peter said to Jesus, even though they all fall away, I will not. And when you hear that, you like it. I I like that, Peter. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And When you read that, you like that, don't you? Hey, I like it when y'all show up here and you say, man, I'm going to live for Jesus, man. I ain't ever missing church anymore. I'm going to read my Bible every day, man. I'm going to live it out. I'm on fire for God, man. He's working in me. I'm going to start a Bible study with my friends. People get all fired up and start making all these pledges about what they're going to do. And I like that. But it's in the same chapter, just a few verses later, 1466, where we hear, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, Hey, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows crows twice, so I was wrong, it wasn't once or three. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. we got to be careful when we start talking about our promises to God. The story of Israel is Israel coming under conviction God being merciful to them, them pledging, okay, God, we won't do that again. We're gonna live for you, only to see their promises not be kept. Israel was not as dependable as they would like to be. But there's another promise in the Bible that it doesn't end as sadly as that one. You remember when Daniel and his buddies were were captured and taken by King Nebuchadnezzar? And they were told, You're only gonna eat this food, and Daniel says, No, we won't. We're gonna eat that. I've resolved in my heart that I will not defy myself. I'm going to live for God. And Daniel keeps his promise. Remember that? Daniel says, no, give me a chance. Try me. Let's see. Let's see if I can be strong and do my part living just off of that food. And they gave him, and he did. And we see that promise, we like it. And promises from us to God are kind of like that. Because the, the, the key of a promise is not so much what the promise is, but it's the ability of the promise keeper, the promise maker, to be able to keep that promise, right? Over the years, I've heard lots of promises. I'm going to share a couple with you. Several years back, I remember a, a mom's child had gotten sick. She was so worried about it. This, this kid was in bad shape, an elementary age kid. And I remember she came here to church and she was praying and talking to us about that and asking us to be praying. And I remember her saying, and I, I, I knew she shouldn't have said this, but I get her desperation. I remember her saying, dear God, if you save my kid and make him live, I will never miss church again. And she's not here today. In her desperation, she longed for God to heal her kid, and I admire that, don't you? I admire that prayer. But she ended up making a promise that she couldn't keep. I remember a young man back when I was in high school who was trying to make it on his own. Didn't have a lot of parent support. It got him a good job and he was working. By the time he had gotten into his mid-20s, he had just buried himself in in debt and couldn't make it work. And he he was drowning. He had a good job. He worked his job and all that. But he just couldn't make it. And I remember him going to an older man in our community and saying, man, I, I've, I've ruined my life. I've still got my job. It's a good job, but I've ruined my life. And where do I go from here? I don't know. And I remember him getting the advice from this man. Here's what you should do. Don't go quit your job. You need to file bankrupt. Admit all the wrong you've done. Once you file bankrupt, promise now that you'll save your money and not spend it. Yeah, that was over 25 years ago. And I want you to know that man now has a house, cars paid off, and has never gone back into that debt that buried him before. I remember that because he went from some bad decisions and struggling to then committing himself and not making a mistake again. There's a story that I like to tell of a young girl, and I'll be real careful with this. She was a friend of mine, and in high school, early in her years in high school, she had a little bit got caught up with some guys. Before you know it, she had lost her purity as a high school student. She was a good girl, good student, big-time athlete. She had lost her purity, and it broke her down. Once that relationship broke up and didn't go anywhere, and she wasn't with that guy anymore, she was devastated. She was rock bottom. And I remember her coming to uh, some type of a meeting at school one time, and her saying in confidentiality to some of the leaders saying, I messed up, but I promise you I won't let it happen again. Church, I remember that girl getting married, to the next and only guy that she was ever with. I've never forgotten that, because it was a beautiful story of her making a promise to God, saying, God, I messed up, I dropped my guard, I didn't guard my heart, I opened myself up, but I promise you, God, it won't happen again, and it didn't happen again. I love stories like that. I like it when we make a promise to God, because there's something inside of us saying, God, I want this, I want to live for you, God. I'm aware right now that I should be living for you, and I'm aware of it. And so we make these promises to God, coming from a heart that says, God, I want to live for you. But that's not the only thing going on here in this passage before we get to our third and final point. Our second point is making promises to each other. This is really important here in the book of of Nehemiah. These are a group of people, okay, these are a group of people together making this promise. That's the whole idea of them listing this out and saying, we make a firm covenant in writing. Look back to verse 38, nine thirty-eight. They are making these promises to each other as they make these promises to God. Verse 38 of chapter nine says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names. They, the plural, we, we, Are doing this together it's fantastic they're making promises to each other church this is how true religion is to be lived this is what real church is to be like it is people linked together with the common focus of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior We must push back as much as possible away from, I believe in God and this is just a one-on-one thing with me and we must see the importance of doing it together. This is so much foreign, especially here in the Old Testament, this is totally a them together thing and that's the way it is to be for the church. We need to understand that our faith is in Christ but our faith is in Christ together, that we need each other and that there is encouragement and support and accountability and, and, and the ability to lift each other up and the ability to be there for each other during the hard times. And forgiveness and hard conversations. Christianity is meant to be lived with a support system. It is. And so we don't just see them making promises to God. We see them making promises to each other. That's important. Whether you've ever experienced it or not. Whether you've experienced it in the bad way and so you think, hey, sounds nice, Josh, but I'm just not buying it. Your faith is to be fueled by having people in your life that you trust and having people that can trust you, all centered around faith in Jesus. And yes, churches struggle with this. Yes, church hurt is a real thing. But by the grace of God, may we support each other. If you've never heard of the one another's in the New Testament, this is a a big theme that you get in the New Testament. There's the phrase one another that happens all the time. I just want to share a couple of these. And as I read some of these, you're going to hear, okay, they have to have each other. Okay, they have to be in this together. These promises and commitment to God have to be done together. Galatians chapter 6 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4 says that we are to bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4 goes on to say that we are to be kind to one another. Ephesians 4 goes on to say that we are to be forgiving one another. Let me pause real quick. Hey, church, if we are to be forgiving one another, what does that mean we've done to each other? Hurt each other. You get that? Sinned against each other. Done things that we shouldn't have done to each other. You know what we're to do with it? Forgive each other, tenderhearted, as Christ has forgiven us. Mm. Ephesians five, we are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are to recognize that you are more important than me in the church. Colossians three, do not lie to one another. Colossians three, bearing with one another. Colossians three, forgiving one another. Colossians three, teaching and admonishing one another. 1 Thessalonians 3, abounding in love for one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, we are to be encouraging one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, encouraging one another and building one another up. James chapter 4, do not speak evil against one another. James chapter 5, do not grumble against one another. Church, these are just some of the one another's that the New Testament tells us about. These are just some of the things that we ought to be looking for out of the people around us and we ought to be giving to the people around us. It goes both ways. We ought to be one another to each other and we ought to be one another back to ourselves from from each other. We see this here. When they started going through the family things and the business things and the religious things, and we, we won't do this, and we won't do that, and God, here's what we're gonna do, and we're not the, the, you can you can almost see that together they're helping each other do that. Hey, that's not something that we do, hey, that's not something that we do, hey, this is how we do it, that's the direction we should go. Christianity is meant to be lived with promises to each other. As this whole chapter 10 unfolds. They get to the end of it and they say together, we will not neglect the house of our God. Church, when we're together, we ought to be desiring that the church has a witness to Christ. That First Baptist Church of Fairdale looks faithful to God, to the world around us. And the very nature of what it means to be the people of God and to be a church means, hey, they may... The community out there may think that you guys are just fantastic. I mean, y'all are faithful and honest and dependable and great. But these people over here, not so much. They drop the ball. They, they're not dependable. They're not faithful. And if the world around us is observing the church, then they see unfaithfulness. That's the nature of it. That's why we got to consider each other. It doesn't make sense at all for somebody to say, well, well, this lady over here, I mean, she's a saint. I mean, she she loves Jesus. She's a blessing in the world. But this lady over here, she's not. And she's a gossip, and she lies, and she's so judgmental. So the general perception from somebody outside of Christianity is good people and bad people. Not the lordship of Christ that's working through us. Not the power of God that's working through us by way of the Holy Spirit. And so making promises to each other matters. Look down at verse chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Look at this. You really see the making promises to each other here. Chapter 10, 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants... And all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding. So, they, I mean, they are literally saying, everybody, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given By Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. And then they go into all the things that they won't do. They make those promises to each other, and they make those promises to God. Christian, if you're here today, you need to take time to consider. One, are you Christian enough that you are trusting in God just by yourself? When you're alone, do you love Jesus? When you sin, are you convicted of it and repent? But you also need to think further along the line of, can my people count on me? Do they have my back? Am I all those one another's to them? Am I in this together with them? What's awesome about a church making uh, or people making promises to God and making promises to each other is that we have a church covenant. Now you should know this. You have to go through this in order to join the church. But if it's been a long time, maybe you haven't thought about this in a while. I want to ask you if you would to grab the uh, hymnal that's right there in front of you. That's the gray book in the back of the pews. Everybody see that? If you open up the hymnal, just the, the, the front cover, the church covenant should be right there. There may be some that don't have it, but it should be there. Is it there? You see it? I've got a copy of it here. Our church covenant is a real simple and basic one. It's only got eight points. Every time once a month at our members meetings that are on Wednesday nights, we read this together. And I'm not going to take the time to read this whole thing. I hope that you will. This, if you want to be a member of this church, this is your commitment to us and to God. This is your promise to God, and this is your promise to each of us. You are to be committed to this church covenant. Look at what that first sentence says. As a gathered church of believers in Jesus Christ in Fairdale, Kentucky, we covenant together in the bonds of love to walk as the family of God in the following ways. Church, when you say you're committed to Christ, may you say, I want to live for God and I want my faith to help other people live for God. That's what promises to God and promises to each other will do. Number one, we've got making promises to God. Number two, we've got making promises to each other. But lastly, number three here, we have the bigger idea that's going on throughout the whole book of Nehemiah and going on throughout the entire Old Testament, New Testament word of God. That being God's promises to us. You don't see it so much here in in chapter 10, but it is absolutely the case throughout the book of Nehemiah. And we saw that so heavily in chapter 9. That God is a promise-making God, and we are to believe him. If you look back in chapter 9, this long prayer, some of y'all remember last week, I told y'all it's the longest prayer we have in the Bible, other than maybe what the Psalms have. Chapter 9, the whole thing is a prayer starting in chapter 6 all the way to, uh, to the end of the chapter or definitely through, through verse 31. It's kind of hard to tell. But in this, they talk about what, God, what they've done wrongly and then they are comforted or strengthened by who God is and what he's done. I don't want to read all of it, but I just want to show you a couple of examples. Look at chapter 9, verse 17. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But look at this. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. They do this over and over again in chapter 9. Jump down to um, verse 27. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, look at this, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Y'all, this happens like several times in chapter 9. It's a summary of the history of the Old Testament. Their promises fell through, but God's promises lasted. If you're here today, you've been dealing with disappointment in your life. Not because I know your story specifically, but because I know how life is. Whether you're a high school teenager, whether you're an adult that's been in this for a long time, life is disappointing and it doesn't go the way we want it to. And we feel the emptiness of, this is not the way I want it to be. I know we all have experienced that. The Bible comes so strong in moments like that with a message that says, God is dependable. God is trustworthy. You can trust him. The Bible warns us through and through that when it all falls apart, God keeps his promises. He is the one that will never leave us, never forsake us, that you can count on. He is the solid rock foundation that we are to be built on. As it was before then, as it was in the book of Nehemiah, and as it is now and forever, life should be based off God and his ability to keep his promises. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. May you take that to the grave and believe that in the deepest part of your soul. John 11.25, at the scene of Lazarus, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live John 14, three, Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. If you will trust in Christ on that day, you will live forever in heaven with him. It is a promise that he will keep forever. Romans 10 says it so simply when it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You may have the longest history and backlog of sin and mess up and frustration and disappointment. You may be here today thinking that you have messed up so many times, you're already past being able to be forgiven and God comes through with promises bigger than all of that guilt and shame we carry and God says, my son paid for all of your sins and the blood of Jesus is able to forgive everybody of everything. First John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." When you read Nehemiah and you get to the point where they're making a covenant to God, you think, "Yes, the Word of God is working and on them." And when you see that, you think, "I love it. Something's happening. Right? God's moving in them. They're making their promise to God, and that's a good thing." But if you keep reading the story, you know that the people of Israel will be unfaithful again. It won't take long. And if you know your story and you look in the mirror, you think, I'll mess up again. It won't take long. I promise I don't want to talk to my kids like that ever again, and then we do. I don't want to look at that ever again, and then we do. I don't want to think those thoughts again, and then we do. We make these vows to God and we often cannot keep them but thankfully the Bible teaches us that you are never saved by your ability to keep your end of the bargain. You are saved by God's ability to keep his end of the bargain through a savior Jesus who will save his people if you will trust in him. We've gotten to do many, many funerals over the years and sometimes they're so heavy and they're just, they're just, they're just discouraging but sometimes they're sweet as can be and a lot of times people who have been married for some 40, 50, 60 years, done a few where they've been married 70 years, and you're just like, wow. And you, you really, especially as a, as, a, as a husband, you really just want to sit down with that spouse and just observe for a minute, like, man, let me, let me observe all that you're, you're experiencing right now. 60, 70 years with that person, and now it's over? I mean, what are you thinking and what are you feeling? And I remember one in particular, they had been together 60 years. Old country fella and his wife had died. And in the arrangements, he was just sitting there crying. and I kept saying, well, you want to tell me a little, bit about, a little bit about her? And he said, man, I could tell you so many things about her. I could tell you how much I love her. He said, but right now, all I can think about is for 60 years how much she loved me. I've never forgotten him saying that. Imagine just being able to sit there and process for a long time. They love me. They love me. She loved me. Church, the Bible is wanting us to see Christ loves you. and He gave himself for you. I pray that your, your, your thinking and your mindset would shift away from, i got to do this to prove that I'm a Christian. And i got, I got to do this so that God will accept me. And, I, man, I sure hope I've been diligent enough or strict enough or, or strong enough or obedient enough so that God knows how much I really love him. That you would get away from all of that kind of earn it, work for it mindset. And that you here today would say, he loves me. I can't say so much about how much I love him, although I do. I can't say so much about how much I obey him, although I'm laboring to do that. I can't say so much about all the promises that I'm doing to make my life right for him so that I'm a good witness to him, although I am trying to do that. That, that. That would not be our mindset, but rather that you and I would say and believe he loves us. And Christ came out of his love. And Christ lived because of his love. And Christ died because of his love. And Christ rose again because of his love. And Christ sits on the throne now waiting for the time to come back because he loves us. That your life would be shaped by your promises to him. But more so, his promises to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah. And this big passage of them resolving, committing, covenanting together to live for you. God, I pray that we would too. Pray that we would resolve today, God, to clean it up, get serious, be the real thing. But Father, may it be the case that every bit of devotion that we have to you flows from faith That you're devoted to us through Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have made promises. And we believe them. Oh, Father, give us the ability to believe them and trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.